Podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. You know, here on the Paracast, we never get much of an opportunity to talk about previous shows. We do sometimes. But last week, we featured Cheryl Costa, who writes for the SyracuseNewTimes.com, which is one of those weekly papers, kind of in the tradition of the Village Voice, which is no longer here, or the Phoenix New Times. And she writes a UFO column. So we had her on the main show, and then we put her on after the Paracast, which is part of the Paracast Plus package. And it's just a fascinating session. She has so much, so much information. Randall, she's one of our best guests in recent weeks. Yeah, I really enjoyed the episode. Uh, she was able to articulate very well what she's been up to with her database. And, and uh, it's, it's, I think she's really kind of underappreciated in the field as a whole there. Uh, we just started to get into some of the stuff about consciousness and remote viewing and the rest of that when we ran out of time. So when she comes back, we'll have to pick up there. You know, somebody wrote the other day that the quality of our guests has declined in recent months. And I was looking over the schedule since October 14th. We had Alejandro Rojas and Kurt Collins, Red Pill Junkie on October 21st, Chris Rutkowski on October 28th, J. Adam Smith, fascinating guy who does tours of haunted houses in Knoxville on November 4th, Eric Ouellet, of course, Jerry Clark, third edition of his UFO encyclopedia, Preston Dennett, Suzanne Hansen, who is kind of interesting because she's a contactee, Mark Jackson, one of our own listeners who is just extremely, extremely knowledgeable. He's a scientist, a geologist, and I think we've had some of our best guests yet. And today we're going to have another terrific guest, the one, the only Nick Redfern, except no substitutes. Welcome back, Nick. Hey, guys. I wanted to ask you, first of all, because you're just such a wealth of information. You had an article on your blog. Actually, it was from Mysterious Universe that you linked to on your blog. Men in black, are they really the good guys? Now, obviously, in the movie, they're the good guys. But in the real world, are the men in black good? Well, that's a, a good question. <laughs> if you look at the, the history of the, the real men in black, which are nothing like Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, you know, um, as you know from the reports that go back to the 50s and 60s, they're sort of, sort of kind of described as skeletal, pale, creepy-looking guys who don't even look completely human, you know, they look really kind of weird. And in most of those cases, if not all of them, the whole point is to threaten the person or the witness into a state of fear so that they'll never talk about their experience, or at the very least, just to puzzle them and kind of make the person just a little bit sort of weirded out by the whole thing. Uh, but either way, what it comes down to is that they are sort of in the business of silencing people. Although I think that is probably the agenda, you know, I think it doesn't hurt to sort of um, take on you know, alternative ideas and theories, one of them being the, the theme of that particular article where, you know, I sort of made the analogy that um, sometimes things can be, can seem to be, you know, for you, but it's going against you when that may not be the case. A good example you take your dog to the uh, the vets to have it yearly or regular um, shots. When the dog goes, it gets hit with the needle and doesn't like it. 
And the dog remembers next time he goes there, you know. You go to the vet and you see the dog's all sort of quivering and stressed out. But it's for the dog's good, you know, so they don't get rabies or they don't get that. Although that's sort of a, a simplistic and slightly alternative angle. But what I do think is the possibility that from, you know, from their perspective, the MIB's perspective, maybe keeping us away from the UFO subject isn't a bad thing. I mean, if you look at the history of the UFO phenomenon, you find examples where people have had very bad situations when they've got involved in the UFO subject. A classic one being Albert Bender, who arguably began the whole UFO phenomenon and visited by the men in black and was plunged into states of fear and, and uh, paranoia. But the big question is, you know, was that because he was visited by the men in black? Well, you know, he was visited but he was already going down like a paranoid pathway before he got the visit. So you could make a case that they helped to push him away from that paranoia and ill health that he developed by essentially telling him to leave the subject, which he did. And as he did that, his health improved and he got married. You could actually make a case that they're sort of misrepresented. I don't personally... Uh, the two theories, I think they are here to threaten them. But you can make a case that perhaps they are the good guys, but misunderstood good guys. Right. <laughs> but in the case of the men in black, with regard to Albert Bender, he came out with that book, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, heavily edited by Gray Barker, where he said that the men in black were space people. Yeah, that's right. Regardless of whether people believe, you know, they're from another world or another dimension or whatever, the, the fact is that most people do report them looking really, really weird, you know, skeletal, sometimes extremely tall, don't seem to fully understand our mannerisms and how to talk properly. And there are some weird cases where after men in black have left the person's home, there's been like an outbreak of, I guess the closest thing you could think to is like poltergeist activity in the home. And people have fallen sick in the presence of the men in black, like a supernatural infection. So whatever they are, I don't believe they're from the DOD or the Pentagon or anywhere like that. You know, maybe if, if they are sort of really alien in the sense they don't understand us particularly well, well, maybe an attempt to keep us away from the subject for uh, our own good might be perceived by us as a threat because we just don't have this good rapport with them. But then again, who really wants a rapport with the men in black? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in, in a forest, all, might, you might question whether or not the theory goes being pushed out of several, from several stories up in your hospital, that that's good for you in any kind of way. And well, of course, in, you know, leading up to that, there was uh, several sightings of MIBs and uh, he was concerned that he, that they were following him and didn't know who they were. Yeah, that's right. And there was a r really weird situation where a, a strange-looking guy, and this is actually in one of the biographies about him, and he's described as an unusual-looking guy, turned up at the doorstep and spoke to his maid or bottle, whatever that he got, and claimed to be working from the post office and could he see the owner of the house. And it was just, and it became clear that it was just like a contrived, almost like a piece of theater. And that plunged him even further down a, you know, sort of like a, a paranoid state. It kind of suggests that these are intermediaries, right? Like they're not the aliens themselves. They've been sent 
by them. Yeah. To... yeah, I mean, that's one of the interesting things is that it seems, you know, granted it's our perception of it, but it seems they've been dispatched and sent out to make these threats. But the big question, of course, is, well, are they doing it of their own volition because they feel it has to be done? Or are they being sort of controlled or programmed even to do it? And the reason why I say programmed is because in many of the cases where uh, you know, witnesses have been in the company of the men in black, it's almost as if the men in black aren't, they're speaking the words, but it's almost as if they don't know what they're saying. Like, for example, if somebody gave you like a 30-second speech in French, now, after a day or so, you could probably, you know, say it uh, word for word, but without knowing what it means. Um, and that's how, you know, some people describe the men in black. It's as if they're making a statement that they remembered or learned, but they don't necessarily have any understanding of what it is they're actually saying. Um, kind of almost like, um, I guess the best analogy I can think of would be the, the men in black in the Matrix movies, which aren't actually kind of real. You know, they're, they're sort of like part of a program. You know, we have to do a break now, and we'll get back to more of The Men in Black, and I want to ask you something about a book that we really haven't covered with you before. More to come with Nick Redfern, Gene, and Randall. You're in The Paracast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. If you go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. Marijuana has unleashed a green gold rush across our nation. It's creating $10.8 billion in new wealth a year. And every day, it's transforming more and more Americans into millionaires. In an historic event, former Speaker of the House John Boehner reveals how you could become one of them. Join him online for the American Cannabis Summit. Attendance is 100% free, but space is limited. Join online at www.acs2018.com. This event is the first of its kind ever. John Boehner and an esteemed panel will reveal which cannabis stocks are primed to deliver life-changing windfalls in the weeks and months ahead. Plus, they will show you how to become a cannabis angel investor, backing the hottest startups before they potentially become worth billions of dollars. Join American Cannabis Summit online at acs2018.com. Attendance is free. That's acs2018.com. 
Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Bags under the eyes, crow's feet, fine lines and wrinkles are things adults complain about as they age. Now there's Instantly Ageless. It works in minutes and is great for men and women. Here's a clip from the Rachel Ray Show testing the results of Instantly Ageless. Board certified dermatologist Dr. Whitney Bow. If you're looking to try to turn back the clock on a budget, you know, in the privacy of your own home, but actually there's some recent technologies emerging, almost like changes the behavior of the skin right. while it sits on the skin. She went off to try a product called Instantly ageless. Yeah. Instantly, you could see a difference. Even the cameraman were like, wow, look at the difference. Yeah. I mean, but I would definitely use this product. This product, within minutes of applying it, it was actually a very dramatic rejuvenation. Try instantly ageless today at GCNlife.com. That's GCNlife.com. 30 day money back guarantee and preferred price discount at GCNlife.com. That's GCNlife.com. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and slingbows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow. A new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. The one, the only Nick Redfern is joining us. We're always happy to have him on. There was a book that you had out like last May that we really hadn't discussed. And I'm looking at the title, The Black Diary, MIB, Women in Black, Black-Eyed Children, and Dangerous Books. Dangerous books, Nick? What do you mean by that? Dangerous books are very dangerous. (laughs) But yeah, well... I guess really you have to sort of put this in its context because altogether between 2006 and earlier this year with The Black Diary, I've done five books altogether on the men in black and women in black phenomenon. Well, three on the MIB, one on women in black, and then the new one, Black Diary. And that sort of really kind of brings everything together that I've done research-wise and writing-wise in those five books on the whole men in black phenomenon. and. The latest one, The Black Diary, I decided to write that in a very different way to I wrote the other books because I became, in some respects, a part of the story. With the other books, I was sort of detached and, and writing it from like a historical perspective of like Albert Bender, Gray Barker and Brad Steiger and how these people um, expanded the mythology surrounding the men in black. But with the new one, um, I decided to write that almost like in a personal journal style, which is why it's called The Black Diary. So it's basically sort of about a three or four year journal, if you like, of all the various cases 
I've looked into and weird experiences I had in relation to the whole men in black phenomenon from about 2014 to 2018 uh, when the book came out. So it, it's very much like a, like, like a journal slash diary type approach and really kind of adds all the stuff that I'd never put in any of the previous books and which really now you, everything, just about everything I've got on the men in black is now out there in those five books. So what was your weirdest experience while you were putting all that together from a personal perspective? Oh, well, there's a lot of really weird and strange stuff that happened. One of the weirdest issues of all it revolved around the Roman Polanski movie, Rosemary's Baby, as strange as that might sound. I'll just, I'll explain. It's a bit of a convoluted story, but I'll explain it to you. As weird as it may sound, there are a number of cases on record where People have watched the movie or have read the book on which the movie was based or they've listened to the soundtrack. And in the immediate aftermath of this, they have had paranormal experiences. Now, you could say it's coincidental, but there are far more than a few cases like that. One of the people whose stories in the book and who I interviewed is a guy named Peter Beckman. And Peter is a voiceover actor. He does voiceovers for... Um, commercials and cartoons and TV shows and things like this. He was telling me how back in 1969, he and a friend were at his home on a Saturday night and they were basically um, hanging out, you know, teenagers at the time, and they were listening to the soundtrack of Rosemary's Baby while they were taking masculine. Peter explained to me how, you know, the combination of both setting like a really strange atmosphere in the home and it was almost as if by doing this that it, it had sort of opened a portal or a doorway and shortly afterwards there was this knock on the door and Peter in, in a slightly altered state opened the door to be confronted by two creepy classic pale looking weird MIB. Then things kind of went even weirder where he they were unable, neither of them were able to fully remember exactly what happened after that, except for the fact the MIB came into the house. And it was right at the time when the, the in the soundtrack, when you have the, um, the sacrifice music was playing. Now, that's just one thing. There are other people who I talk about in the book who had similar things. But the weirdest thing of all was that, you mentioned Mysterious Universe earlier uh, in relation to an MIB article that I wrote. Well, I also wrote back in 2016 an article all about this weirdness surrounding Roman Polanski's Rosemary's Baby. And I pointed out Peter Beckman's story and several other stories as well. Bear in mind, this was like a Friday and I did write the article in the morning and did a bunch of research, but also to you know, get me completely in tune with it, I watched the movie as well. I didn't think anything more of it. Next morning, I got up, happened to sort of look out the window. I live in a two-story apartment block, and I live on the second floor. And as I opened or just peeked through the blinds to see what the weather was like, I swear to there was a guy outside in a black suit and a black fedora walking in a really weird, shuffling fashion with his arms dangling like a dog would. You know, if you've got a pet dog and you put the dog on its back legs, you know, and the front legs dangle. I just stopped and stopped and stared. And 
I raced to get my uh, iPhone, uh, well, my uh, smartphone, I should say. And by the time that I got back, he was getting into a car, not a black car, I should hasten to say, <laughs> that was just further down from the apartment block. All of that could have been a complete bizarre coincidence, but it was like really, really strange that the timing of deciding to write the article, interviewing Peter, interviewing the other people, watching the movie again that night to uh, make sure I got all the information, hadn't missed anything important, and then wake up the following morning to see this guy. Now, what I did, I actually managed to get a picture of him from the window. And, and that's when I sort of jumped into some clothes, grabbed the phone, and by the time I'd done all that, then he'd gone. But I did get the picture, and it's in the book. And it, it's sort of a very weird and creepy picture. He's like, a, you know, he's very elderly. You can tell he's sort of like skinny and just odd-looking with his arms hanging in this odd way. Now, you know, the apartment's where I live. I've lived here for six years, and I know for sure, the seven years now, um, I know for sure that there's nobody at the apartment who even remotely fits that, you know, that, that description. And, you know, there's the, the fact of his, of his dressing anyway, you know, like an old-style suit and a fedora. You know, nobody wanders around my apartment block in a black fedora on a Saturday morning at like 7.30. And it's, that is just, pretty weird. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Who wears a hat anymore, period? I mean, let alone kind of walking in this is sort of zombie kind of a walk, you know? Yeah, and it was just, it was one of these situations where, you know, people said to me, what would you do if you saw the bed in black? I'd say, well, you know, I'd sort of grab them and <laughs> whatever and call the police. <laughs> but what I did is what so many people do in paranormal situations. It's like you see in a car accident and you don't do what you think you would do. You know, I just, I was sort of frozen. I was just looking at him sort of, walking from the right to the left as I was looking out the window. And he was shuffling along really slow. And I just looked at him for about five or six seconds, maybe 10 seconds. And then I was like, wow, I need to get a picture. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And after this show ends, Nick Redfern will be back on this week's episode of After the Paracast, which is part of the Paracast Plus. We got more to come with Nick Redfern, Gene, and Randall. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hear that? That's the sound of a house being trashed while a gang of thieves ransack the place. And what they don't steal will be destroyed. This year, resolve not to be the next victim of a break-in. Go to faketv.com and discover a device that creates the illusion someone inside is watching TV, even when you're miles away. Security is a mindset, and fake TV should be part of your security solution. Be vigilant, but not fearful. faketv.com Want revenge on the common housefly? Well, after 10,000 years, someone has finally come up with a better way. The Bug Assault, a miniaturized shotgun, which utilizes ordinary table salt as ammunition. Non-toxic and no batteries required. So much fun, you'll forget you have a wife and kids. Makes the perfect stocking stuffer. Get your Bug Assault today and save $10 on the Bug Beam Laser Combo only at BugAssault.com.
USA Radio News, I'm Wendy King. The partial federal shutdown is expected to drag on through Christmas. President Trump and congressional leaders are still stuck in a standoff over his border wall with Mexico. The Senate has adjourned, but could be called back at any time if there's a deal. USA's Rick Vincent has more on the story. Speaking on the Senate floor, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said no further votes will occur until the President and Senate Democrats have reached an agreement to resolve this. Push the pause button until the President, from whom we will need a signature, and Senate Democrats, from whom we will need votes, reach an agreement. Chuck Schumer then took to the Senate floor and told the president he has to give up on his $5 billion wall. He says there were three proposals on the table, two from Democrats and one from Republicans. You're listening to USA Radio News. Money, 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 money. You got to have it. When you need it, what do you do? If you don't have a rich uncle, call LendingTree. With us, hundreds of banks compete for your business, so you'll get loans with competitive interest rates, and in some cases, with no closing costs. So here's the deal. If you need money, call us. Do you want to refinance your current loan? Are you 62 or older and interested in a reverse mortgage? Then call LendingTree now. 800-634-1315. 800-634-1315. We've closed over $250 billion in loans. We know what we're doing and can help you. Call right now for a free quote. 800-634-1315. 800-634-1315. 800-634-1315. That's 800-634-1315. NMLS number 1136. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation. Analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? So Nick Redfern talks of the need to get a picture of something. Go ahead, please. Well, yeah, as I said, I saw him. That was one of the other weird things. You know, it was 7.30. I just happened to look out the window. The reason being, because I was going to be going out for the day, and I wanted to see what the weather was like, otherwise I wouldn't have bothered. So I, but I looked through the window to see what the weather was like, and I happened to look out the window at 7.30, which just happened to be when he was walking past at the same time. And as I said, he was approaching from the right on the pathway outside the window and shuffling along, and I did what a lot of people do when something bizarre happens. You don't do what you normally think you would do, and I just sort of froze and just and just stared and then i thought 
I've got to get a picture. So I ran into my office to get my, it, with hindsight, again, I didn't think straight here. I should have just picked up my smartphone. But what I did, I went for my camera and I was messing around in a drawer to find it. So then I had to, I then had to go into the bedroom and grab the phone, which was still charging. So I grabbed that and then uh, and took the picture. So I got the picture, but I, I wasn't I wasn't even dressed or anything. Uh, so I had to get jump into some clothes, get dressed, put some shoes on, get to the door, down the steps, and by the time I'd done that, he was in the back of his car driving away. And it was just a really weird situation. And had it, you know, I would have still thought it was odd if I'd just happened to seen it out the window, and that was all there was to it. But when you add it to what was going on the night and the day before with the whole Rosemary's Baby thing, if it wasn't as it seems to be, then it was like one of the most bizarre coincidences I've ever had in my entire life. You know? Yeah, definitely. I remember one time when we were doing a show back with our former excellent co-host, Christopher O'Brien, uh, he was talking about the trickster. And... Right after that show, it was I was working here late at night just on stuff. I tend to be a bit of a night hawk. I look out my front window and I swear this guy goes walking by the front of my house and he looks just like Spring Heel Jack. I mean, dressed like in okay. some kind of uh, period clothes, long kind of cape like coat, uh, hat, pointy little beard, pointy shoes. I, uh, so I'm like, what? And th- this is at about four to four o'clock in the morning or something. So I go out and I look because he disappeared past my hedge. And I, I like, I went right out and right down to see what, you know, he was walking along the sidewalk. This is a fairly long block and just nowhere in sight. So these things do happen. Oh, they do. But, um, you know, for the most part, although I have had a few weird experiences over the years, that was definitely one of the weirdest ones, but also because it occurred at the height of when I was writing this book, The Black Diary, and when I was also getting a lot of MIB stories from people. And I also had another spate of activity that a lot of people report in relation to the MIB, and particularly people like John Keel report. It was weird phone interference on uh, on the phone line. That happened at the height of all this as well, where... On several occasions, the phone rang, because I've got a landline and a cell, that the landline rang out about two or three in the morning. And of course, you know, when anybody gets a call at that time, you think is bad news. So at the very least, you're going to go and check out the ID. And the weird thing was this, was, this was the fourth, I think it was, or the fifth of several calls where the previous ones all had static on the line. It was just like really weird. Now, this one, um, when I, they were all showing up, it was either private caller or unknown caller, or it was a variation, that, but it was along those lines. The other one, or the final one, I should say, when I got to the phone, the caller ID was actually my own phone number. You know, it's kind of like that, I forget what it was called, that old horror movie, you know, it's like the call's coming from inside the house. You know, that kind <laughs> yeah, of but you've and, only uh, got one phone, right? Yeah, well, well, I mean, I've got a landline and a cell. But um, and it was on the landline, uh, but I've only got one, yeah, one landline number, and it's you know that's all it is. So it's not like anybody else could be creeping around and you know dialing the number or anything. So that was really strange. And on top of that, a number of friends and colleagues in the UFO field contacted me out the blue, not knowing that I was writing the book, 
telling me that they started to have weird MIB dreams, and they mentioned it to me because they knew I'd written previous books. So what I've found over the years with the Men in Black stories is that when you kind of investigate the MIB tales and accounts and write about it, as weird as this is going to sound, it's almost as if they know. And I'm, I don't get that in any other aspect of the things I write about. But with the MIB, it's almost as if when you sort of look into it, it's almost like an alarm bell goes off and the phenomenon then turns the tables onto you. And that's something that, um, you know, I, I found time and time again. And, I mean, it doesn't put me off or deter me. In many respects, ironically, pushes me further. But it was... That period, fourteen to eighteen. I don't mean I don't mean to think you know to think it was twenty four seven, three hundred sixty five days a year. It wasn't, you know. But it was maybe two or three weird things per month. Have um, you had anything else happen since uh, you completed that book? Well, that's the weird thing. I actually haven't. But in saying that, if I if I was to compare it to the other things, they all happened when I was doing a lot of writing and research on it. With the Black Diary, that one was sort of wrapped it all up until I get, you know, more material, which I haven't had yet or haven't got yet. So I'm thinking, you know, it could happen if I started to, you know, do another book on the subject. Um, but that would be reliance on, you know, getting more material and so on. Now, typically, they've been connected with the UFO phenomena. And are, in your well, research, do you think that that's accurate? Are they, are they a UFO? related phenomena or do you think that there's something separate and they just happen to also take an interest in ufos themselves well they're definitely linked to the ufo subject because throughout the whole history of ufology since the 40s onwards they are associated with people who have had ufo encounters or abductions or contactee type cases or they've just happened to see a ufo in the sky there are a lot of cases where people have been visited by the men in black so there's definitely a connection there, but what I've found over the years is that the UFO connection is not the only one. As weird as it might sound, there are a number of cases where people have claimed to have seen the men in black after they've had a Bigfoot encounter. Back in, the, uh, back in 1974, um, a guy named Ted Holliday, um, who wrote a number of good books in the 70s on the paranormal. He's kind of followed the same path as John Keel. Uh, Ted Holliday spent a lot of time up at Loch Ness, Scotland, because he was sort of fascinated and obsessed by the Loch Ness monster stories. And one occasion, he encountered a man in black at near the shore of Loch Ness, uh, who quite literally dematerialized in front of him. Really weird story. Um, there are other cases where um, I have uh, cases where the, it was a UFO component when the person got visited, but in the immediate aftermath, they experienced like a, a wave of violent poltergeist activity in the home, sort of furniture moving and, and you know, things falling off the walls or flying off the walls. So, I mean, even if you look at Albert Bender, you know, regardless of how much of his story was true or elaborated, the fact is that Albert Bender, you know, was an unusual guy who uh, lived in the attic of his um, his father-in-law's house in uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut. And a lot of people don't know this, but Bender had a deep interest in the paranormal and the occult, and he was very well versed in them. 
and he created in his attic room what he called um, his supernatural altar, where he would um, essentially try and conjure up supernatural beings. And he was a deep follower and adherent of the beliefs and of, uh, of Alistair Crowley, um, sort of um, what today you would call like chaos magic, that kind of thing. We're going to get into more of this. And I also want to get a preview of this Area 51 book that Nick Redfern has written. He never stops. Gene Randall and Nick, you're in. The podcast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the purest for you and your family. For over 14 years, thousands have depended on Berkey Clean Water. The Berkey Guy has you covered at home, work, and on the go with water filtration systems of every size for every budget. Now, GCN listeners receive 10% off ceramic filter systems using code GCN at GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Hey everyone, Proactive MD has an incredible offer for our radio listeners only. Stay tuned for our exclusive offer that includes a free charcoal pore cleansing brush and free shipping. Proactive MD with prescription strength adapalene can heal and prevent future breakouts. Today, for just $19.95, we're offering listeners the three-piece Proactive MD system with free shipping, plus a free gift, the new charcoal pore cleansing brush. Get this exclusive offer by calling now, 1-800-583-8662, or go to Proactive.com. 
proactivemd.com and enter promo code radio. You heard right. Proactive MD plus free shipping and a free gift. The new charcoal pore cleansing brush. You'll get all this for just $19.95 and their 60 day money back guarantee. You're guaranteed to get clear and stay clear or you get your money back. Call now 1-800-583-8662. That's 1-800-583-8662. Or go to proactive.com and enter promo code radio. Again, go to proactive.com and enter promo code radio. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18 wheelers and large buses have big blind spots and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our responsibility. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Oh boy, we'll put some echo around that, and then it's going to be insane. Let's just go on with the story. Right, well, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of weirdness that goes on with the Men in Black that actually doesn't really have anything directly connected to UFOs, although the vast majority of cases do revolve around that. But um, as we are just saying about Albert Bender, he was someone well-versed in the world of the occult, did his utmost to try and summon up supernatural entities in this attic environment. And you could say, you know, he got what he asked for because allegedly, you know, he was in his room one night, started to feel ill and lightheaded, and the room was filled with this odor of, like, brimstone and sulfur. And he said these three shadowy figures materialized through the wall. Now, true or not, you know, Bender did have this background in the occult. He was not just a ufologist. He was someone heavily into the occult. You know, you can actually make a case that, although there is a big connection between the men in black and UFOs, when you dig deeper and you dig out some of the more obscure cases, you find it goes far beyond that, and, and it really does sort of roll into what a lot of people would call the supernatural and the, the paranormal and even the occult. You know. Quick question, Nick. And that is when you look at all the things that have happened, except for poltergeist phenomena, which is obviously physical, do you think that maybe too much interest in some of these subjects, including men in black, can bring upon some sort of hallucination or internal experience where there's no external reality? Well, I think that's possible. I mean, we've all at some point in our lives had a really weird dream or nightmare of something. You know, that, that's just how we are, you know. But what I would say is that many people do actually experience the men in black after they've seen a UFO, not always in the living room. Very often it is in the dream state, as if the MIB have the ability to quite literally get into your dreams or your nightmares, again, in kind of like a, a matrix-type situation, you know, that, uh, you know, they get into your dreams, and um, which is against, I guess, in one, in one sense, you know, it's sort of like a holographic nightmare. Now, I could take the view that, yes, this is all internal, and, you know, there's no external angle to it at all. 
The only thing I would say against that, admittedly, before I just say what I'm going to say, admittedly, some of the cases do sound like that the witnesses are plunged into an altered state when the MIB turn up. It's not just like somebody comes in from your apartment block to check on that everything's okay with your electric equipment or whatever, you know. It's not like that. It very often is that the person feels in this weirded out, strange state of mind, like an altered state. So somebody might say, you know, maybe they just nodded off or whatever for 10 minutes. But the important thing that makes me think that's not the answer is that so many people describe, particularly in these nightmarish states, describe what are known as like the, the shadow people and the hat man. And the hat man is like a silhouetted shadow wearing an old style fedora hat. And the shadow people who are pretty much the same, but without the hat. So in other words, my argument here would be, why is it that so many people who have these experiences, whether in the real world or whether in nightmares, why are so many of them, if not the vast majority, why are they seeing a silhouetted figure in black wearing an old style hat? You know, why aren't they wearing, I don't know, the outfit of, of anything in modern, you know, modern ray fashions? Why is it that there's so many of them are seeing this creepy character in a hat, just like the men in black? So, you know, depending on how you view it, it's either extremely significant or it's a coincidence. And, uh, you know, I kind of go more for the, the significant angle of it all. Now, you've got a new book that's about Area 51 coming out. Has anyone ever seen any MIB going in or out of Area 51? Well, that's actually a good question because um, I've got one chapter in the book on claims that, um, that link the men in black to Area 51. Now, there's one really weird story that came from an alleged whistleblower, not to me, I should stress, but you can find the story online, where a guy who claimed to have wa uh, worked at Area 51 back in the 60s and claimed that he saw like a, a bunch of these guys in black suits and looking really weird and sort of vampire-like, and that he was ushered away from them and told to keep away if you ever see them, which, you know, is a really strange story. You know, you go to work at Area 51 and you're confronted by these sort of ghoulish, literally white-faced, white, white-faced, creepy guys, you know, menacing eyes and staring at you and, and then somebody comes running in and say, just get away, you know, don't, don't interact with them at all. Just stay away. So that's the only story I have that links Area 51 to the Man in Black, but it's such a weird and memorable uh, case in the process, you know. Well, I'm actually kind of surprised that there was one. That's really interesting. And it's the sort of thing that, you know, you have to wonder, well, would somebody even just even make some uh, make up something like that? I could understand somebody like a Walter Mitty type might say, oh, yeah, I worked at Area 51 or my grandfather did and he saw the Roswell aliens. You know, one of the problems with ufology is that there are people who like, they're like that, you know, they want to be perceived as like a James Bond type character when really they just, you know, they deliver milk or something. Not that there's anything wrong with delivering milk, <laughs> you know, but... Um, <laughs> In this case, it was just such a, an off-the-wall, weird story. You know, the idea of, of the MIB being at Area 51 and everybody's terrified and being told to keep away. 
I mean, that sort of ties in with another story. It has nothing to do with the men in black, but it's the kind of story which uh, I was given. And again, it, it seems, to me at least, the kind of thing you just would not or could not make up. And it came from a guy who said it was either it was either 1970 or 71, I think, that the one a security group that you know they regularly patrol Area 51 from the fringes right to the, the base itself, and that a security alert at some point, I think it was 71, that there was this security alert because when one of the the jeeps or the vehicles was driving around, they found of all things a bicycle which looked as if it had fallen from an extremely high height. It was just, you know, pulverized and damaged. It just, and it was sort of partially slammed into the ground. Now, you know, who would even think of creating a story like that? And the, the story was that they concluded that wherever this aircraft came, excuse me, wherever this um, bicycle came from, whether from an aircraft, you know, who's thrown out, fallen out, who knows? But, I mean, Area 51 is a no-go flight area. And if somebody who wasn't cleared was approaching the base, you know, they have uh, the right to shoot it down. So if it wasn't, you know, an aircraft that belonged to Area 51, the big question is, where did it come from? What was it being flown in? And how did it come to be thrown or dropped from a some sort of aircraft or a UFO or what? And to be found, you know, by a security team um, pulverized in the desert floor. You know, it was just, again, like such a strange story. Who would sit there and make that kind of thing up, you know? I mean, somebody it, might, but I mean, it's, like, uh, it's a weird thing to, to dream up, you know? <laughs> uh, what was it, E.T., the extraterrestrial? Was didn't, didn't, didn't he, like, go, you know, flying his bicycle up in the sky? Yeah, past? Well, that's, 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 <laughs> I mean, maybe they shot that. him down and... <laughs> I never thought about that, actually, but that's true, yeah. <laughs> but, that's... yeah, that book comes out on, actually, on New Year's Day. So um, the, the, the stores are all going to be shut, but you can get it on Amazon on uh, New Year's Day. Yeah, it's like, um, it's a very long book. It's, um, it's 400 pages, and um, wow. it's basically a history of Area 51, but with the the overriding emphasis is on the whole UFO stuff. So there's a lot of material on Bob Lazar and the different theories that have been put forward. You know, was his story true? Was it completely bogus and hoaxed? Um, was he involved in some sort of um, psychological warfare program to think the Rus- to make the Russians think we've got alien technology? Um, or was he used, you know, in some other obscure kind of situation to, um, you know, to to essentially um, freak out the Russians and, and other nations as well? Nick, I want to ask you about that sort of deception to spook the Russians okay. in our next segment, since Russians seem to be so much a matter of our popular culture these days, for better or worse. We've got Nick Redfern, Sheen and Randall, you're in. the. Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. 
A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Warning, if you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back, because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $5,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to let us settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-959-5759. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee so there's no risk. For free information, call now. 1-800-959-5759. That's 1-800-959-5759. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Okay, Nick Redfern, let's talk about that since we're talking about your forthcoming mm-hmm. Area 51 book. It's going to be out right after the first of the year. Okay, with all the Russian well, stuff here, are you familiar with a book yeah. from James Carrion called The Roswell Deception as opposed to Rosetta Deception? Yeah. yeah. Okay, now we've asked... James, to come on the show, we haven't heard from him yet. But obviously, he's thinking here, if we use the Rosetta Deception as an example, is that this is the early days of the Cold War. We want to spook the Russians. Is that the case with the Roswell book? Well, to a degree, yeah. I mean, you know, when you look at the early uh, years of ufology, you can find now evidence of sort of disinformation and trying to manipulate the Soviets. For example, I'm sure, uh, Gene, you'll remember the the story of the um, alleged UFO crash at Spitsbergen off Norway in 1952. You know that story, that one. It's an old story. Sure. Anyway. It seems it, to get recycled ago. now yeah. and then. About, well, about every t- 15 years or something, there's a UFO crash at Spitsbergen. Yeah, exactly. Well, about 15 years ago, through the Freedom Information Act, I got some of the um, NSA's UFO files. Now, one of them uh, is a transcript of a Russian newspaper article on UFOs. And um, the article mentions the Spitsbergen case. And somebody in the NSA has taken a black marker and circled it. And in big capital letters, they wrote the word plant next to it, which is interesting. 
there are a lot of cases like this. For example, the CIA back in the 1990s prepared a history, a historical document on the involvement of the, Uf of the CIA and the UFO subject. One of the things they said was that in the 1990s and 1980s, the CIA was deeply concerned that there were certain people in the defense community in the U.S. Um, who were possibly being used by the Russians to essentially give the Russians secret information on our defense projects. And in return, the Russians would give these people wild and, you know, sensational stuff on UFOs. But the CIA's concern was that because these people in the defense community had a pre-existing interest in UFOs, they were worried that they, these people would be turned. You know, they would, they would give out sensitive information on aviation projects, and in return, the Russians, the KGB, would give them, you know, these sensational UFO documents, etc. But it would be fabricated material. So the Russians would get real... U.S. secrets on defense projects, and the UFO researchers would get nothing but disinformation and lies and fabricated documents. So one of the um, one of the theories, one of sorts of theories, one of the stories that I was told for the book was an outgrowth of that. That namely, that U.S. defense and intelligence agencies were concerned that the Russians were trying to penetrate Area 51. They were certainly flying satellites over, and there was a fear that the Russians might find out and find the location and the names of some of the employees and approach them, you know, for in this kind of situation of you give us this, we'll give you that. And they decided to, U.S. intelligence decided to essentially try and reel in these Russian spies by giving them information on allegedly real UFO activity uh, going on at Area 51 because the Russians could not basically walk away from this in the event it was true. It'd be so, so sensational. And so they started asking questions, and, but they were being watched at every time. And what happened was that, you know, these Russian spies were captured, taken into custody, and the only thing that had happened was that, you know, U.S. intelligence had, had crafted some bogus documents to reel them in on UFOs. So you could make a case that some of the stories coming out of Area 51 in relation to UFOs are actually disinformation and counterintelligence ploys to try and reel the Soviets in and then grab them, you know, before they have a chance to do anything else. I wanted to ask you about Bob Lazar. Because his story seems to be so peculiar. Some things may be real. Some things may be fantasy. Is he a put-up job? Well, if he is, I don't think he's like a witting one or a knowing one. Um, people, I mean, for example, Stan Friedman. Um, Stan thinks that Bob Lazar is just a total fraud. You know, he actually said, um, I'm quoting him accurately right now. Stan said that Lazar's story is, and I quote, bunk, bunk, bunk <laughs> three times that's what stan said um the fact is though that there are some genuinely odd and intriguing aspects to the story now according to lazar uh, who actually did work on a number of significant and controversial and secret defense programs in the early 1980s he actually worked at the los alamos labs for a while because his name uh, and contact info is actually 
in the uh, facility's uh, telephone book. That, that's a fact. That's not rumour. That's a, an absolute fact. Now, on top of that, according to Lazar, he met in, uh, in the early 1980s, he met Edward Teller. Teller was giving a lecture at the uh, facility where Lazar was working at the time, and they, they sort of struck up a brief conversation because Teller was reading a newspaper which had an article on the front about Lazar. This was back in 82 when um, Lazar was building jet cars, and the, the local newspaper had a, a front-page story on Lazar. And, and that's true as well. That's a fact. Teller said, well, this is really interesting. This is you. And, and Lazar said, yeah. And so they had a chat. And then a few years later, according to Lazar, Teller, clearly having remembered him, recommended him for a project that he might find interesting, to say the least. And that supposedly was how he got the interview to get the job out at Area 51. Now, when the Teller angle came out, you would imagine if someone like Edward Teller was being misrepresented by this sort of maverick scientist saying he got me this job out there and I wouldn't have seen the UFOs had it not been for that. You can imagine how someone like Teller would have done something about that or said something about it. What he actually did, he said something along the lines, and this is almost word for word, he said, well, I don't remember him, but if I did remember him, I might have recommended him for a job, but I don't remember him, so I can't remember if I, if I recommended him for a job. <laughs> and it was almost like lawyer speak, you know, he'd been coached to, to make a specific statement. Teller would not say that it was all garbage, it was all nonsense, and he wouldn't even say that, uh, or he wouldn't even deny that he hadn't met Lazar. He just said, I don't remember, I can't remember, which is something we hear so much today, you know, in the news with politicians. So, you know, he was, he did hold the positions he claimed to have held. Or did uh, he? I mean, you know, the thing is, is, okay, what about all of his other credentials? That would be a lot more difficult to get rid of. When you start talking about disinformation, it seems to me that it would be very easy for them if they wanted to use Lazar as a disinformation agent to to create a phone book that has his name in it so that it looks legitimate, so that they could build up the character around Lazar and make it look legitimate. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's entirely possible. I mean, I wouldn't want people to think that I buy into Lazar's story 100%. I don't. And even, ironically, even Lazar doesn't buy fully into his own story. And what I mean by that, he said that on one occasion he was, he was specifically and deliberately taken a down one corridor where there was a glass window and there were two guys standing in front of what looked like a little figure talking to it. Um, now. By Lazar's own admission, he said, you know, UFO researchers have said, well, that was an alien, and they've got aliens there. But Lazar came to think the more likely scenario was that it was a mind game, and they were using like a small dummy, and they just pushed him past quick enough to he wouldn't, so he wouldn't see too much, but enough to where he would see this little figure. And Lazar did not buy into that. He said, I think it was a mind game, you know, just they were playing tricks on me. Let's pursue that in our next segment. Mind Games on Bob Lazar. Nick, Gene, and Randall, you're in. The Paracast. (laughs) 
Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Marijuana has unleashed a green gold rush across our nation. It's creating $10.8 billion in new wealth a year. And every day, it's transforming more and more Americans into millionaires. In an historic event, former Speaker of the House John Boehner reveals how you could become one of them. Join him online for the American Cannabis Summit. Attendance is 100% free, but space is limited. Join online at www.acs2018.com. This event is the first of its kind ever. John Boehner and an esteemed panel will reveal which cannabis stocks are primed to deliver life-changing windfalls in the weeks and months ahead. Plus, they will show you how to become a cannabis angel investor, backing the hottest startups before they potentially become worth billions of dollars. Join American Cannabis Summit online at acs2018.com. Attendance is free. That's acs2018.com. Are you afraid to go to the mailbox because of letter after letter from the IRS? Are they stacking on more and more penalties and interest? By now, you know the problem won't go away on its own. Don't let the IRS chase you to your grave with penalties and interest and liens and levies. You need real help now. I'm Dan Pilla. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I helped thousands of people solve tax problems they thought couldn't be solved. I can help you too. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com. danpilla.com. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the purest for you and your family. For over 14 years, thousands have depended on Berkey Clean Water. The Berkey Guy has you covered at home, work, and on the go. With water filtration systems of every size for every budget, now GCN listeners receive 10% off ceramic filter systems using code GCN at GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com.
We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Yes, that's Nick Redfern pretending he is Santa Claus. So Bob Lazar (laughs) is saying that they've been playing games with him. To what purpose? Why would you puff up the sky and then play games with him? Well, you could make a case, like, like I said, that there are no aliens at Area 51. There are no crashed or recovered UFOs at Area 51. But what there is, these highly sensitive military programs that the Russians would love to get their hands on. And so how do you do that? You fabricate UFO stories. You have people who spread the stories to the point where the Soviets are in a situation where they just cannot resist looking into it. And so they send a couple of guys out to Nevada, you know, sort of Ivan and whoever, you know, Dimitri, and they follow their activities. And what happens? Well, Dimitri and and whoever gets uh, arrested uh, under the espionage laws and to reel these two Russian guys in by dangling fake UFO stories. So Lazar may have been a completely unwitting figure who was groomed, and he didn't even realize he was groomed to be the person who would go public. They probably did a good character background on him. And if they thought, well, this guy is not going to be able to keep quiet, let's get him out to Area 51, expose him to a bunch of bogus documents on UFOs and aliens, maybe even mock up a UFO or two, and we know he's just going to blow the whistle. He just won't be able to resist going public, which is what he did. And so that would create or expand the legends about UFOs at Area 51, and you get the Russians coming in, they dangle something else to the Russians, and then they grab them. And all that's happened is that fabricated stories fed to Bob Lazar became public information, but no real secret was ever compromised. I think that's, you know, a potentially good scenario. I wonder here, though, how many UFO sightings over the years, UFO-related events, were also done for the same purpose, to fool the Soviet Union? And does it happen now that we have Russia instead and Putin and all that? No, there are people in the government who actually like him. Yeah. Now, I mean, one of the reasons why Lazar has become such a controversial character is because of his history and his background. For example, we know for sure that he signed up uh, to take a class in electronics at the uh, Pierce College in California. And he also spent uh, a period of time working for Fairchild. Now, according to Lazar, he obtained a Master's of Science from Caltech and a Master of Science in Physics uh, from MIT. Those documents cannot be found anywhere. Today, you know, it's easy to delete files and destroy them, etc. Back then, when everything was paper, that would be far more difficult. That is one of the biggest weak points in the stories, that no one anywhere can find any evidence of the documents created as a result of allegedly working at Caltech and MIT. But we do have documented proof that he worked in what today is called the Los Alamos Neutron Science Center out in uh, New Mexico. 
And that um, basically is a highly classified program, which still goes on to this day. I mean, we know he worked on that particular program, and we know that he did work at Los Alamos, and all his information is in the, as I said, at the phone book, the Los Alamos phone book. So he did have these connections, and he was on the front page of the Alamos, uh, Los Alamos Monitor newspaper in 1982, seven years before you know he hit the headlines uh, in the UFO field. A lot of people think he surfaced out of nowhere. He didn't. As I said, he was on the front page of newspapers in New Mexico in 82, you know, in relation to his jet cars that he was building and, and driving around at speeds of quite literally like 200 miles an hour across the desert. What I find interesting about Lazar's story is that unlike a lot of hoaxers and fakers throughout the, you know, the decades, uh, he never wrote a book on his claimed experiences. He barely gave a handful of lectures. And the story was never altered and it was never expanded and elaborated on. If you speak to him, he tells the exact same story. Now, if you look at someone like George Adamski, whose photographs to me are just, you know, just pure theatre, you know. Well, Adamski travelled all over the world lecturing, wrote numerous books, and when something died off or, you know, the story didn't sound right, he'd write another book. Lazar didn't do anything along those lines at all. The story that he tells today is exactly the same story he told back then. He's not elaborated. He's not. He's hardly been on a TV show. He's never written a book. So you have to wonder, what did he get out of it? The answer really isn't much at all. So the key is here is Lazar is not cashing in, and that lends credence no. to a story. No, he gave a few lectures, and when he first came out, he gave... Um, a series of interviews to George Knapp in uh, the local Las Vegas uh, news company. But even then, he was sort of couched under a fake name. And it was only in 89 he decided to go public. But, as I said, I mean, when you look at people, particularly in ufology, there's so many who've had, you know, movies made about them or TV shows or, they've, you know, they've got a multi-book deal or whatever. He didn't go for any of that. He just said, well, here's the story, like it or not, you know, and he was, he was kind of like, I don't give a damn either way. You know? Interesting. And of course, he came along, you know, after some of the earlier stuff that was going on at Area 51, where they did actually work on very high tech aircraft that they wanted to keep secret from the Russians. And you talk about the U-2 and the Blackbird and the A-12 tests and stuff like that. So... They've definitely got secrets out there that they wanted to keep. And they've, the, the whole area started off quite a bit smaller, was my understanding. And then they had this big land grab. Can you talk about a, a bit about this land grab? Did they ever get that resolved? Or what, what actually was going on with that? Yeah, well, it's important to note that the Area 51 itself is actually a portion of what's called the, um, the NTNT. And it's basically like this huge area of of land um, and area part area 51 is a part of it from the 50s onwards a lot of um, research was undertaken into new and advanced aircraft you know things that began you know like the u2 and the blackbird the sr-71 and then later on the stealth bomber and the stealth fighter and a lot of other rumored aircraft like the so-called aurora which is said to be or said to have been like this futuristic triangular shaped thing 
not unlike the black triangles that people talk about in ufology. So we know that, you know, a huge amount of stuff's been going on. But in the early to mid-1980s, the government made a land grab in the area, stating that because there were people living in the area, and um, or fairly close at least, and they were, that they were doing classified work there, it was going to be uh, dangerous, you know, to national security. More to come. Area 51 and more. Nick Redfern. Randall and Gene, you're in. The Paracasta. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. This is George Dory from Coast to Coast AM and History Channel's Ancient Aliens. We support the amazing energy, nutrition, and skincare products from Jeunesse. Jeunesse products are designed by leading doctors in their field with natural ingredients and even stem cell technology. These products help your body perform and look better. Shop Jeunesse at GCNlife.com or call 1-844-443-6637. GCNlife.com or 844-443-6637. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. For USA Radio News, I'm Wendy King. Democrats say President Trump's insistence over a border wall amounts to a temper tantrum. The president in a tweet says the country is being threatened by a flood of immigrants. The only thing that's going to stop that is great border security with a wall or a slat fence or whatever you want to call it. But we need a great barrier. Lawmakers could be called back into session at any time. But for now, the Senate has adjourned without an agreement to end the partial government shutdown. Democratic Congressman Steny Hoyer tells CNN $5 billion is too much for the wall. And he quoted President Trump's next chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. I think the wall is a waste of money. And as a matter of fact, Mick Mulvaney, uh, he said uh, he thought the president's thoughts about the wall were, and I quote, absurd and childish. You're listening to USA Radio News. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS and you cannot afford to make payments to the IRS, you may qualify for the CNC tax program. This is a new program, and if you qualify, you won't make any payments to the IRS while in this program. Once you're accepted into this program, the IRS is forced to stop all harassing collection activities. No threatening phone calls, no wage garnishments, no bank levies, and no more monthly payments to the IRS. Get ready to write this number down. It's the most important number you'll ever need to end your IRS tax nightmare. Call Paramount Tax Relief at 800-547-4804 for a free confidential consultation to find out if you qualify for the CNC tax program. Once you are accepted into the CNC tax program, you won't make any payments to the IRS while in this program. Call Paramount Tax Relief now at 800-547-4804. That's 800-547-4804. Again, 800-547-4804.
Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap, even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you can move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed; it's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own. Manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10 year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60 day money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's Mike's best offer ever My Pillow is now offering 50% off their four pack special plus free shipping. Go to mypillow.com or call 800 870 and use promo code GCN. That's 50% off plus free shipping. Don't delay. Order now. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Nick Redfern, author of thousands of books that he wrote last week on the paranormal. Seriously speaking, we've been focusing on his forthcoming book, which will be out after the first of the year, called Area 51, The Revealing Truth of UFOs, Secret Aircraft, Cover-Ups, and Conspiracies. But of course, with all this, Area 51 does serve a legitimate purpose. They've admitted to its existence. And obviously the question is, is there stuff related to UFOs there or not? Well, that, that's the big question, because for the most part, not completely, but for the most part, there really wasn't much talk at all about UFOs at Area 51 before Bob Lazar came along. You know, most people had never heard of Area 51 before Bob Lazar, never mind the UFO angle. There were a few stories from people who came forward to talk about their alleged knowledge of alien activity at Area 51, but they were very, very pure and far between, and very obscure as well. There, there was barely anything, really, pre-Lazar. But what did happen between 84 and 86 was this substantial land grab. The, the government's justification was, well, we're testing out a lot of classified material here, including aircraft. We don't want the Russians or the Chinese or whoever, you know, sort of climbing the surrounding hills and you know with high-tech equipment and photographing and filming what we've got so we need to prevent people from getting close to the base itself and the government went along with the powers that be at area 51 and so there was this huge land grab and people were paid off to move to new locations you know maybe 20 miles further down the road you know and the, for the people who went along with it you know they paid for all their moving and, you know, for a new home and also, you know, quite significant monetary amounts just for moving period, you know. But there was some opposition to that, wasn't there, though, Nick? I mean, there was a, I I think they tried to fight that in court down there for for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, some of the people, as I said, went along with it and were actually quite fine, you know, with getting um, substantial, and I do mean substantial monetary payments. In some cases, it was quite literally millions 
Now, some people went along with it and said, well, it doesn't make any difference to me if I live 200 miles further than I do now. It's still the desert. It was kind of like that. Other people did uh, actually take it to court and, you know, very controversial court cases where people were saying, essentially, you know, our families lived here for 30, 40 years and, you know, we're being tossed out, et cetera, et cetera. And again, the government did come down on the side of Area 51, you know, and then down to the wire, basically the people crumbled and took the money. But as I said, there were a few people who did come forward and talk about cases in, in relation to UFOs pre-Lazar, but the stories were just very just small snippets here and there. Most people hadn't heard of anything. If they'd heard of anything, it probably was the land grab. But Lazar, whether his story's true or not, there's no doubt that he was the guy who led to the association between Area 51 and UFOs. He, he almost did that sort of single-handedly. It seems like the Black Triangle started showing up ar- around that time, too. That they, they go back to the 80s kind of thing. Uh, oh, yeah. And- there was a big wave in the 80s and 90s in Hudson Valley, New York, where people were seeing these flights. Well, actually, the 80s, early to mid-80s, not the 90s. People were seeing these um, flying triangle-type black-colored aircraft flying around Hudson Valley. And it's quite understandable that back then people were like, wow, these have got to be UFOs, because people hadn't even seen the stealth bomber or the stealth fighter then. J. Allen Hynek actually co-wrote a book uh, called, I forget what it was called now, <laughs> but anyway, uh, a book all about the Hudson Valley Wave. Night Siege. Uh, right, exactly. Yeah. That particular book, you know, convinced a lot of people that what was being seen was UFOs. When the stealth fighter and the stealth bomber in the late 80s were rolled out, these weird-looking, totally black aircraft, people then said, well, maybe what we're actually seeing with secret tests of the, of the stealth aircraft, or maybe this was something even more advanced than the stealth fighter and the bomber. But if you wanted to test something like this, and in the process you spread UFO stories, most people are going to dismiss them. You know, oh, it's, you know, it's, um, the weird time of year again, that kind of thing, you know. So I think sometimes uh, highly classified aircraft have been secretly flown, but in the event that somebody might happen to see them, then they start spreading stories of aliens and little green men to steer the story away from something that's far more down-to-earth than it appears to be. Right, or somebody says, oh, I saw, you know, a UFO and... You know, it must have been aliens and, and rather than steer, you know, these days you don't have to steer anybody in that direction. They just go there. So really all they need to do is just let them go there. And and uh, that's fine. The media is taking care of that for us. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I do believe that there is a, ge- a 100% genuine, real, unknown UFO phenomenon, when, which interacts with us in very strange and odd ways. But I also believe that, Governments, personnel, particularly people who work in the fields of like counterintelligence and psychological warfare, have realized that whether or not they really know what the UFO phenomenon is, they realize that they can actually make use of it as a means to hide their activities, but also to reel in Soviet spies, to allow for the secret flights of aircraft, you know, have people think it's aliens. I think, you know, the penny probably dropped very quickly when they 
you know, somebody sat around a table thinking, hey, guys, we don't know what these UFOs really are, but we sure as hell can manipulate that phenomenon as a means to freak out the Russians, to successfully fly this or that and have people think it's little green men, and maybe we can reel in a few Russian spies, all by fabricating a bunch of UFO stuff. I think that's probably what happened. There's the real UFO phenomena, and there are successful but previously unrealized experiments and programs to to confuse the truth of the UFO phenomenon for reasons that you know have far more to do with domestic national security and Russian issues rather than literal aliens, you know. Do you think that might be one of the reasons that we haven't had the kind of disclosure that people are looking for? Because there is that mix of real, genuine national security interest involved in these sightings that they simply, well, look, we can't tell you about it now. We obviously couldn't tell you about it before. Well, yeah, and I think the whole thing is so confusing because it's like, you know, truths buried within lies and lies buried within truths to where nobody seems to know what the truth is. Even by Lazar's admission, you know, he said they played with his mind so much. And, you know, he also talked about how there were times when he would go out to Area 51. He wasn't there that long, actually, like about 12 weeks or something like that. But uh, he said that, you know, he'd go out there and then he'd fly back. And then he'd realized he couldn't remember anything that happened when he was out there. And he felt that his mind had been sort of manipulated with, you know, chemicals or whatever. So even he didn't buy into everything or at least was open to the idea that, you know, that there was more going on. So I do think, you know, there's a a major national security issue relative to UFOs. But it doesn't necessarily mean it relates to little gray guys with black eyes. A lot of it could be hangovers from the um, Cold War, which are still in place. I mean, the Philip Corso story, the day after Roswell book, I do not believe that story at all. But I would be very open to the idea that, that Corso, as someone who worked in the Cold War in the 60s, may well have been asked to put that story out there, possibly, you know, to freak out the Russians or some equally odd and obscure situation let's uh, do our break here more to come with gene randall and nick you're in the paracast thank you for listening to gcn be sure to visit gcnlive.com today Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com.
First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Bacon lovers, we ship free. Try our amazing bacon. No refrigeration required. Proprietary value-added packaging provides 10-year shelf life and protects the leanest, thickest, center-cut, fully-cooked bacon in America today. Ready to eat right from the pouch or warm and serve. Savory and delicious. Wholesale price for your everyday use. Order today at readytoeatbacon.com. Readytoeatbacon.com. You may need this herbal tea for relief right away, so write this down, drmillersclinic.com. If you take meds, then suffer stomach distress, constipation, indigestion, acid reflux, and bloating, and nothing else helps, get Dr. Miller's Holy Tea or Super Holy Tea, a cleansing, detoxifying herbal tea, now available at great rates direct from Dr. Miller's office. Call or click 888-660-7039 or drmillersclinic.com. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the purest for you and your family. For over 14 years, thousands have depended on Berkey Clean Water. The Berkey Guy has you covered at home, work, and on the go with water filtration systems of every size for every budget. Now, GCN listeners receive 10% off ceramic filter systems using code GCN at GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. Pain in my neck, back, and shoulders has really gotten worse. Relief for body pain is here with Sunny Bay Heating Pads. Well, the last thing I want is to take another pill, so what's so good about Sunny Bay Heating Pads? Sunny Bay Heating Pads, made by Biomed DB Design right here in the USA, come in all sizes. Our extra-large microwavable heating pad for back pain is designed to be large enough to cover your entire back. It's also perfect to wrap around your legs, knees, or shoulder and neck. But I need to know they're good quality. Of course, Sunny Bay heating pads and pillows are often an Amazon choice and it's easy and most affordable when you purchase your Sunny Bay heating pads right from our website sunshinepillows.com or call us 253-678-1361 Hey, a Sunny Bay heating pad would make a great gift, right? Yes, and they start at just $19.99 and free shipping is available. So call 253-678-1361 or shop for your Sunny Bay heating pad at sunshinepillows.com By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blockit Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. This is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So Philip Corso, someone with genuine credentials, comes out with this book. 
heavily altered or edited by Bill Burns. Was that just misdirection? Well, I don't think Bill was any part of any, you know, was a witting player or anything like that. But what I do think, people say, well, this is a fascinating story. What I would say is rather than talk about Lazar's claims, focus on why did he actually tell that story? You know, that, that's one of the things that I find interesting, that this old guy who at the time was 83 when the book was published, and he died at 84, he died the year the book came out, which whether that was due to all the stress and publicity of the book, I don't know, but that's, that's what happened. But, I mean, one of the things, for example, is that um, Corso worked on, when he was a young man, on the Operation Paperclip program to bring the German scientists over to the U.S., now, you know, I sometimes wonder if, you know, some of these early UFO events were actually high-tech German things. No, I'm not talking about, quote, Nazi flying saucers, but things like V2 rockets and bringing German scientists over being working in the field of high-altitude experiments on people and controversial stuff like that. He was someone who clearly knew a great deal, of course, though, I mean. Maybe he was part of a program to have the Russians think, that really, we really did have um, crashed UFOs and dead aliens. And um, who better than to have somebody who was well-versed in the field of things like counterintelligence? Um, but the problem is so many people in ufology, just, it's just the excitement factor takes over in their minds. You know, well, this is a guy from the military, an old guy, talking about dead aliens at Roswell. It's got to be true. People need to sort of take a breath and look at the issue as why the story was put out there. What would be the goal? You know, what would be the end game in terms of having people believe the story? You know, and I think the psychological aspects in many respects are far more intriguing and interesting than the story itself. Well, let's talk about that a bit, because you're saying one of the things that uh, they were into is intelligence gathering through ESP, parapsychological, and mind control. So we don't hear a lot about that sort of thing in connection with Area 51. You know, we know about the aircraft and the test flights and then the high-tech stuff, but this uh, mind control and ESP, what was that about? Well, in terms of the mind control stuff, that sort of ties in, in terms of the book, that ties in with... Lazar's own claims. And again, it, in one sense, it shoots down the idea that he was just a hoaxer because he openly admitted that some of his memories, he could not guarantee that they were correct. Which, you know, I mean, if you think about it, if you're a UFO hoaxer, you know, you want to convince someone that you saw a UFO in the sky, you would say probably something along the lines of, yeah, this is what it looked like. You know, it was silver, it had a blue band and a red light on top. And it was making this strange humming noise. And I absolutely know for sure that's what it looked like. Lazar was not like that. He was like, well, things may have been done to my mind. I genuinely cannot really say for sure what happened during those periods when I cannot remember what happened. That's sort of um, a big leap for a hoaxer to take, you know, to actually say, well, I can't guarantee what I'm saying is correct, you know. So I think that's an important thing, and that relates to what you mentioned in terms of mind control. But uh, one of the people I interviewed for the book said that at some point, when you had, back in the 70s, 
there was the expansion in things like remote viewing and psychic spying. Uh, he said that there was, at one point in the 70s, there was a program out at Area 51 that was allied to the remote viewing program. And they, according to him, their specific role was to try and remote view the, the latest advanced aircraft that the Russians had got. Which sounds odd, but then again, everything was odd about the whole remote viewing program, you know. Um, they even remote viewed Mars to try and find information on ancient astronauts on, on Mars. Now, that, that's not hearsay. Those files have been declassified where the CIA tried to remote view Mars like a million years ago. And, and I'm not exaggerating. That's exactly what they did. They went for a time frame of a million years ago to try and find out what was going on Mars then. Again, you know, if, you're, if you think that as bizarre as the program might be, even if it would give us an inkling of an advance um, in terms of espionage and getting one over on the Russians, well, let's give it a try. What have we got to lose? You know, the government's got billions of dollars to, to throw in our direction. So it won't matter if they throw 20 grand for a week's work, you know. So in that sense, the idea of, you know, using remote viewers to essentially spy on Russian military installations where high-tech planes are being built, it actually doesn't sound too weird when you look at everything else that they did in relation to uh, remote viewing. Right. We were talking with Cheryl Costa a bit about re remote viewing, and one of the things that I mentioned was that, well, if they just really didn't get anything substantial out of it, is that your experience as well, or did they actually get something useful out of the program? Well. The information that I've sort of put together is not so much that it didn't work, period, or it hardly worked. The problem was that it couldn't be predicted when it would work. There's, there's some cases where the remote viewer said that it absolutely did work, but the problem was not only could it not be predicted, but it couldn't be predicted on you know some of the most important things that they wanted answers on, and so it caused a great deal of frustration. So they felt that, well, let's keep doing it, but not at the expense of the far more down-to-earth ways of having spies and wiretaps back then, you know, and phone taps and whatever. In other words, it wasn't so much, I don't think it was sort of frowned upon because it didn't work, period. It was frowned on because it could never be specifically guaranteed. When it's it too was too unreliable. Too unreliable, yeah. yeah. So yeah. in that sense, they didn't stop using it. They just agreed to carry on, you know, with the old ways, and um, which is probably the best approach they could have taken, really. You know, it's like, um, you know, a situation where I guess they often use, you know, alternative ways as a means to, to gather data. I mean, the, a few years ago, the British Ministry of Defence revealed that it had had a, a remote viewing program in the early uh, 2000s, and... Um, didn't come away impressed at all, and they closed it down. So, you know, sometimes government agencies do weird stuff, you know, and people think if they're doing weird stuff, it, that means it works and it's real. But it doesn't always mean that. It just means sometimes that they're willing to go down an alternative path, but then they might just say, forget it, you know, it's just, it's just too wacky. Well, what about this research on teleportation then? Because, you know, there's another one. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, um, the, I don't know if you know this, but Eric Davis, um, who's somebody in the very uh, well-respected uh, scientist, um, Eric Davis, more than a decade ago now, was actually 
contracted by the Air Force to um, basically research the feasibility or not of, um, of, of telepathy. And a lot of this work was contracted by um, the Air Force Research Lab, the AFRL, uh, which has its headquarters at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Now, Eric Davis put together a really intriguing and interesting report for the Air Force, which has now been declassified under the terms of the Freedom of Information Act. And it talks about all different types of teleportation, like, you know, the stuff, the kind of thing you would see in like Star Trek and uh, you sort of thing where it would go wrong in like the fly, you know. And um, But they also talked about in the sort of like disembodied transport um, of inanimate objects and, um, and also things like um, ESP, you know, sort of, uh, teleporting, uh, teleporting um, thoughts and ideas, that kind of thing. So it covered a lot of area. But one of the intriguing things about all this, and, and the, the main reason why I mentioned this in the book, is because I mentioned earlier that um, Area 51 is based at the what's called the AT, excuse me, what's called the NTNT. And it's basically um, the, the huge area on which Area 51 sits now one of the facilities there is the what's called the nellis range and the uh, that entire facility that entire area actually contains a small office of the afrl the air force research labs now although eric davis was contracted by the um the afrl which operates the main headquarters out of wright patterson um there is a small um, sub-office, if you like, out of the Nellis Range. Let's talk about Area 51 and the way it's set up. In our next segment with Nick Redfern, Gene and Randall, you're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. 
Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation. Analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Ah, the legend of Area 51. It was featured also in the movie Independence Day, although, of course, they had some of the dates wrong, but then it was only a movie. Nick Redfern, go on, please. Well, yeah, what I was saying is that um, Eric Davis was contracted by the U.S. Air Force to research the feasibility or otherwise of telepathy, uh, excuse me, of uh, teleportation, and, uh, and whether or not, you know, something along the lines of, like, Star Trek and the fly would ever be, you know, even remotely feasible. And that work was done for the U.S. Air Force, but that particular branch of the Air Force also has a, a small office on what's called the Nevada Test and Training Range, the NT and TR. Now, the NT and TR is this gigantic piece of land. You know, Area 51 is big enough in itself, but Area 51 is built within the NT and TR, and they have a small office of the same uh, organization that was 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 using or had an interest in teleportation. So that's why I mentioned that in the book, that, that because we know that there is this office or was this office out at Area 51, then almost certainly they would have, you know, been given access to what the other part of the organization was doing in Dayton, Ohio, at Wright-Patterson. Almost certainly they would have been made aware of the, the whole teleportation angle as well. And you often find that, that, you know, the work itself, like, for example, you know, the, the building and construction of things like the U-2 and the stealth fighter and the stealth bomber, you know, that's, that's not done by employees of Area 51. You know, that's done by companies like, like Lockheed, you know. And um, so, in other words, the, the, the technical side of all this is, is farmed out to private corporations and private facilities who sign, you know, extremely iron-fisted uh, non-disclosure um, documentation so they won't talk about it. So, in other words, that's how things very often happen, like with Eric Davis, where the, the contract is farmed out rather than done within the facility. And if it's seen and perceived as being valid and it's going to work, then it's undertaken. We know that all, a bunch of research and secret flights of the stealth fighter 
the stealth bomber were undertaken at Area 51, but they were never, quote, built at Area 51. You know, and that's, that's one of the important things. Area 51 was very often the recipient of high technology, but not the creator of it. And there were, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a number of UFO reports that could be attributed to secret projects there, including the uh, U-2 and the A-12. They came out like the CIA files where they actually say that, that these were radar contacts, yeah. though. They weren't, they weren't visual, but there would be some aircraft or unknown target flying in from some secret mission at you know relatively impossible speeds for your normal radar operator and they're going okay well, and apparently quite a few of those were logged as ufo reports you know people often think it has more validity when the radar operators tracked it and they nobody knew what it was well that doesn't mean it was an alien spacecraft it means that somebody was flying something that the base that was tracking it had no knowledge of and had no need to know either so in other words just because sometimes military personnel track strange things on radar systems flying very high and very fast it doesn't mean it's not one of ours it means that particular person working that radar system it hasn't been cleared on the fact that somebody is engaged in like a secret test flight of some new radical aircraft and it may actually work to their advantage to see how the radar operators do respond do they sort of get into a state of excitement and screw up and whatever, or do they think they've seen a UFO? And, you know, you can gauge a lot from, you know, see, perceiving people's reactions when it comes to how they respond to things like this. So, again, you have the psychological angle and the fact of knowing you have the ability to test fly something at fantastic speeds and heights, and you don't have to worry because... Even the radar operators are going to write it off as a UFO and probably tell their grandkids 50 years later about how their granddad saw a UFO, that kind of thing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. These days, it's who knows what they have, Nick? I mean, would we even know if it was a real alien craft now, do you think? It, or, or what? How, how would we even know anymore? Back in the 50s or the, or the you know, 40s, Maybe even into the 60s, you could think, well, you know, it's not likely that some sort of advanced aircraft is going to be able to pull off some of the maneuvers that we've heard with UFOs. But these days, what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, the problem is we don't really know the current state of the really sort of high-tech technology. I mean, to give you an example, when the stealth bomber and the stealth fighter were reeled out rolled out in the latter part of the 1980s. The fact of the situation is both of those aircraft have been test flown out at Area 51 as early as 81. And the original prototype for the, for the stealth fighter was test flown in 1975. So if you look at it like that, sort of 75 through to 89, when we're today, you know, almost in 2019, and we're seeing technology that we know exists in 2019, but it may mean that somebody is flying technology that we won't see till about 2035 or whatever, or 2025 or 2030, whenever, you know, 15, 20 years from now. So when people say it has to be a UFO because the government doesn't have anything like that or we're not seeing it, well, that doesn't mean someone isn't test flying it somewhere. 
you know, at a, res- at a restricted level. You know, when we talk about how expansive and how extensive is our high-tech technology today in relation to aircraft, well, it could be massively advanced, but we're just not going to see it until somebody decides to roll it out as they did with the the stealth fighters. You know, we're sort of, we're kind of bound by what we see. You know, I wanted to ask you, Nick, about this. Obviously, the Corso book talks of reversed-engineered technology from Roswell. Obviously, there are legitimate explanations for terrestrial development of night vision goggles, etc. But do you think at all that anything that we have might have been reverse engineered from alien technology, or would we even be able to recognize it? Well, I mean, you can never rule it out, I guess. But the problems I have is with the Corso story is that it's it's too clean and too too perfect. You know, you've got this guy who's brought into this program and literally within a couple of years, not only have we understood the alien technology, but we've duplicated it with night vision equipment, fiber carbon, so on, carbon fiber, excuse me. And, um, you know, things like, um, what else did he talk about? Sort of memory metal as well, you know, and... Um, so, oh, microprocessors, uh, the whole bit. I mean, yeah, it's just... He just tells us everything that the, you know the tinfoil hat wearing UFO conspiracy nuts want to hear. It's perfect. Let's just tell them that that's what happened, and they they'll just lap it right up. And I, I I'm sorry, I just can't put myself into the into that role. No, that's that's the problem with uh, the Corso story is that it is so smooth and to the point, and telling people exactly what they want to hear. And on top of that. You know, this guy did this not only almost on his own by feeding it out to defense companies and conveniently uh, being able to do so without those people finding out it was alien and and doing it in a, an extremely quick time as well. You got breaking a moment, Nick. I just wanted to throw an observation out. Okay. I'm just thinking about this here, how the book actually reads very much like a fiction novel. But then, of course, Bill Burns wrote true crime stuff anyway you got nick redfern we're talking about area 51 and reverse engineering and all that stuff with gene and nick and randall you're in the better cast Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. 
For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Marijuana has unleashed a green gold rush across our nation. It's creating $10.8 billion in new wealth a year. And every day, it's transforming more and more Americans into millionaires. In an historic event, former Speaker of the House John Boehner reveals how you could become one of them. Join him online for the American Cannabis Summit. Attendance is 100% free, but space is limited. Join online at www.acs2018.com. This event is the first of its kind ever. John Boehner and an esteemed panel will reveal which cannabis stocks are primed to deliver life-changing windfalls in the weeks and months ahead. Plus, they will show you how to become a cannabis angel investor, backing the hottest startups before they potentially become worth billions of dollars. Join American Cannabis Summit online at acs2018.com. Attendance is free. That's acs2018.com. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. How well and how fast does heart and body extract work to improve blood circulation? Listen. My name is Ellis, and I'm 66 years old, and I live in Jacksonville, Florida. Two years ago, I was diagnosed as having clogged arteries. I had 70% blockage in one artery leading to my heart. They wanted me to go on Plavix, but I refused, knowing the negative side effects. Heart and body extract is a unique balance, synergy, and proportion of herbs reaching from head to toe at maximum absorption around 95% at the cellular level. Within the first month, I felt a dramatic difference. The heaviness in my legs was reduced, and within two months, I felt completely normal. Your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is heart and body extract. Heart and body extract comes with a 100% ironclad money back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for heart and body extract. Call 866-295-5305. 866-295-5305 for heart and body extract. Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We got more. <laughs> We're not trying to have a vocal group here. I don't know if we have anybody who comes in the Paracast regularly. Who is a singer? I don't know. Of course, some people may surprise me. I know, obviously, Chris O'Brien was not so much a singer as somebody who played a musical instrument. But there you go. Anyway, we have Nick Redfern, 
And I'm not looking for his hit record unless he actually has a hit record out there that we know nothing about. Yes, I don't know anything about that either. That's actually an interesting... Is any of your stuff on the audiobooks, Nick? Yeah, there's... um, Well, I think 10 or 15 are available on Audible, and 5 or 6 you can get on CDs, like in box sets of CDs as well. Well, that's really good, uh, because a lot of people really just like listening and oh, you yeah. have such an uh, interesting way of describing the stories it's uh that's really but good I, to know i don't do the i don't do the readings oh um, okay i refused to do that it was just too difficult and i just didn't have the the patience to do it you know it was just too much so i was like so, get a just get a real person i'm mean, a real person I'm <laughs> a person who can, who can do this who does this as a living and they right. actually that's what they did and uh, he does a really good job of it as well and I, I just could not sit down and read an entire book. You know, you've got to make a mistake and you've got to go back again. And that would just drive me insane. You know? <laughs> when you were talking about the teleportation stuff earlier, just uh, to briefly go back there, was there any hint of a link between that and something like the Philadelphia experiment? Or are we talking about two totally separate things? Well, I, I do mention that but essentially to talk about the alleged claims of how the government in previous years have allegedly, you know, sort of dabbled into the field of, of teleportation and things like that. For the most part, I sort of, you know, focus on the, the more latter-day stuff because there is this, as I said, there is this connection with the uh, the Nellis test and train, uh, training rage, you know, as it relates to Area 51. So it's one of these things where it's it's a snippet of a story, but it's one that's worth telling, you know, and, and, you know, when it, when it comes to area 51, I'm never sort of really sure if we'll ever really get the answers as to what's going on out there. And, but I think maybe there could well be people out there who want it like that. They want the intrigue and the mystique because it allows them to essentially run a lot of weird programs, which some people will buy into, you know, somebody from Chinese intelligence may buy into it and, and in the process, you know, somebody gets reeled in, nobody got hurt, no real secrets were compromised, but we've got new assets who work for us, or, you know, you get 80 years in the slammer or whatever. So are there really hollowed out chambers, tunnels, and hidden underground facilities out there? I mean, we've heard stories where somebody might be watching, somehow they've gotten access to be able to see this well enough where the side of a mountain will open up and something will come flying out of it. Well, yeah, I I think the truth of this is somewhere between the two. I mean, a number of uh, legitimate and genuine people, credible people have come forward to say that, you know, what you see on the surface is actually only a part of it, and there are sort of several other levels, you know, and each level might be of a height of sort of 20 feet. So, you know, it's all quite feasible in that sense. If you've got sort of three or four, you know, different levels and each one's sort of 20 feet, you're talking about levels that go down maybe 100 feet, and that's it, you know. So we're not talking, as some people have suggested, you know, where you've got, you know, sort of underground installations where there's, half a million people and, you know, they go down 40 miles and, you know, caverns and caves. I don't think it's like that. But there is good enough data to suggest that there are fairly deeply buried and protected uh, underground facilities where possibly they could even withstand like a nuclear strike. You know, they're so deeply buried. 
but a couple of hundred feet with today's technology is quite feasible. But I don't think we're talking about, as some people have said, where there's tunnels going from Area 51 to the Dugway Proving Ground and then to directly under the Pentagon or whatever. I don't believe any of that that's going on. That, I think that's just way too... Right. Of course, this is you know what some people might call the most well-known secret facility in the world. So you've got to know that they've got other ones in other places. We know that there's they've got islands, for example, off the coast of California and off the coast of Florida, where people compared to Area 51 have they've never even heard of them or know that they're there. What what other facilities are there out there that you've run across that you could tell us about? Well, I mean, certainly within the United States, you've got the Dogway Proving Ground in Utah, which is easily as much of a fortress as is Area 51. A lot of weird stuff goes on there, sort of, you know, chemical and biological research, that kind of thing. And um, But there have been a lot of, uh, over the years, there have been a lot of um, UFO activity over the Dogway Proving Ground. And, um, you know, it does have a, a long history in relation to the UFO subjects as well. And when you look into it, you know, you could arguably make a case that it's sort of, I guess, like, you know, Area 51's little brother or even bigger brother, you know, but arguably we know far more about Area 51 than we do about Dugway. You know, we know what goes on there and there have been weird things occasionally with you know, sheep found dead in the area back in the 60s, for example. So, there's a lot of weird stuff going on along those lines, but there also been rumours, for example, uh, about dead aliens at Dugway. Now, one of these stories actually came from a, a named individual, Colonel George Weinbrenner, and he was the chief of the Foreign Technology Division at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base for a number of years between the 60s and the 70s, and he made what you call like a few brief allusions to the fact that we, and I'm quoting him here, we have five aliens in Utah. A number of researchers have suggested that those five aliens in Utah are the Roswell bodies kept at uh, Dugway rather than keeping, uh, keeping them at Area 51. And that, that's one of the theories that some researchers have, that the, quote, good stuff has been transferred from Area 51 to Dugway, and what's available now at Area 51 is just purely conventional stuff and it you know it's a diversionary kind of ploy i don't think if that's all it is but i mean it'd be interesting you know to sort of ponder on the idea that some of the more secretive stuff is now handled elsewhere but somebody's happy to convince people have to continue to convince them that it's done out of area 51 right and this that way i mean for people who don't know that's in that's in utah and it's basically its own whole dreamland type of an area it covers over 3200 square kilometers larger than the state of rhode island it's a gigantic place and i mean a lot of it as well is just land that you're just not able to access you know it's not a lot of it isn't just the, the proving ground itself it's like the 10 or 15 miles that no one's allowed to go into you know to even get that far the you know, one thing that gets me about all of this though okay I just have a really hard time believing that if they've got... Let's say we finish that question in our next segment. We have another question from Randall. Waiting in the wings, more to come with Randall, Gene, and Nick, you're in. The Paracast. 
Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. The United States of Empire is a book that claims the United States is the empire of the world. George Washington had warned us against foreign wars. The United States of Empire shows that World Wars I and II left England broken. Its former colony, the U.S., had to save the empire. Was there ever a vote? Who do we fight for? The deep state began with World War I. The United States of Empire by James Dunn. Available at Amazon Books. Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to produce an endless supply of nano-sized silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. Silver Lungs. With the addition of our unique lung delivery system, respiratory infections are targeted directly, where traditional oral administration simply cannot reach. This pioneering method also preserves the original particle sizes and delivers your silver solution directly into the bloodstream. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com. For USA Radio News, I'm Wendy King. The partial federal shutdown is expected to drag on through Christmas. President Trump and congressional leaders are still stuck in a standoff over his border wall with Mexico. The Senate has adjourned, but could be called back at any time if there's a deal. USA's Rick Vincent has more on the story. Speaking on the Senate floor, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said no further votes will occur until the President and Senate Democrats have reached an agreement to resolve this. Push the pause button until the President, from whom we will need a signature, and Senate Democrats, from whom we will need votes, reach an agreement. Chuck Schumer then took to the Senate floor and told the president he has to give up on his $5 billion wall. He says there were three proposals on the table, two from Democrats and one from Republicans. You're listening to USA Radio News. There's no question you need omega-3s. But which form should you take? Fish oil or krill oil? Scientists have debated this for years. Luckily, there's a new solution to satisfy everyone. It's called Krill Omega 50 Plus. It combines ultra-pure fish oil and joint-soothing krill oil together in just one tiny pill. It's so powerful, it can promote the health of your heart and your arteries. And if that wasn't enough, it can also boost your joint comfort in just days. We're so sure Krill Omega Omega 50 Plus will work for you. We'll even send you a free bottle to put to the test. The debate is over. It's not fish oil or krill oil. It's both. And now it's free. Just pay $4.95 for shipping and claim your free bottle. Call now. 1-800-399-6392. 1-800-399-6392. That's 1-800-399-6392. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. The IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how did it go for Jake? They did 
what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes, take Jake's advice. Give Federal Tax Management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the Federal Tax Management Hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800 8625 800-503-8625. Hi, this is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. more segments with the one the only Nick Redfern except no substitutes let us proceed sir Randall you're going to ask a question yes I was just about to ask before the break there if they really did have all of this reverse engineered alien technology going for them now since even the 80s say it took them that long to get the stuff from the 40s up and running how come they're still spending billions of dollars on F-35s. Why aren't we actually seeing anti-gravity-powered, instant-changing direction types of technology? Are they really spending billions of dollars just to fool us into thinking that we don't know how to do it? Yeah, that's an important point because that, that is one of the big questions. If you've got flying saucers, if you've got anti-gravity craft, why bother sending conventional aircraft and troops to the Middle East when you could just be there in a second and just, you know, bring everything to a halt within a few days, you know, that kind of thing. So this does make me wonder on that there's two possibilities. One is that things like anti-gravity craft and reproductions of alien spacecraft really don't exist, and that's why we don't use them. The other possibility, which is more conspiratorial is that well what if this technology does exist but rather than being owned and controlled by the u.s government it's actually sort of controlled by what we call like a shadow government you know that the elected government isn't aware fully of what's going out at area 51 and it's it's its own environment you know and it, it doesn't answer to anyone other than itself you know, the idea of like a secret government within the government is sitting on this for whatever purpose. You know, maybe things, controversial issues like the so-called secret space program. You know, people talk about, well, why are, why are we still using, you know, old-style rockets, you know, with fuel? If you look at all the advances in science, in medicine, in technology, you know, in all sorts of areas, you know, but... When it comes to rocketry, we're still using sort of basically like blunt force rocket technology. So some researchers think, well, that's actually not what's going on, that we really have gone ahead in leaps and bounds, but we don't want to reveal this technology yet. But of course, the big question is, well, why wouldn't they? I mean, what's wrong with giving us all anti-gravity technology instead of having to be cramped on a 737, you know, for 10 hours on a flight or whatever? You know, what's the harm? And that, and admittedly, I don't have the answer to that question. I don't have the answer as to why our technology or somebody else's technology that we've developed, why not just tell us, you know, what, what's the big deal? So it is an odd situation. All I can say for sure is that, you know, we, we know that 
certain radical-looking aircraft at Area 51 were once hidden for 10, 15 years. The stealth fighter, as I said, the first prototype and design of it uh, was 1975. It wasn't released till 89. There was no real reason it couldn't have been put out then. So maybe we're looking at something like that for whatever reason. Somebody's saying we don't need to put the good stuff out until, you know, the you-know-what hits the fan. Maybe that's what it is. If we ever sort of find ourselves in a real severely bad confrontation with another power, maybe we will then unleash it then. But unless that happens or we don't need it, let's just keep it hidden away. And then if things do happen, we're going to blow their mind and they'll surrender immediately, that kind of thing. That's not happening with new technology the same way it was happening with technology out of the 60s, where there was this large gap between what they had and what the what people knew about yeah. you know with the the f-35s for example they were known about and they talked about in terms of design back in 2013 and 14 and they've got a projective service life life up into 2070 so now if we're talking all the way up to 2070 where we're still using jets that's we're using internal combustion engines still we're nowhere near this anti-gravity type technology. And to keep two separate programs of that kind of expense going just to fool people into thinking that, you know, you don't have that technology, it just doesn't seem to be reasonable to me. I think I'd go with your first answer in that, well, they really just don't have them. Yeah, I think, I think of the two, that is the, the bigger likelihood. But it doesn't mean, you know, they aren't Tesla and extremely radical weird things i think they are but you know that's a big difference than saying you know they're making two-hour flights to mars and back you know that kind of thing uh which i don't believe is happening at all but if it was proven to be the case i wouldn't fall down in a dead faint either you know what i mean so um but i don't think we're doing that um but i think it's more likely somebody may want certain other nations and countries to believe that or at least suspect that you know oh the u.s has got something that if we ever try anything they're going to reel it out and we're done for you know i think that scenario could be the the correct one but the problem is you know come back to ufology ufologists you know a lot of people in the, in the field want to hear stories about aliens at area 51 they don't want to hear about, you know, I've done, I know this because I've, you know, I've talked about it at lectures. You know, sometimes you can just see a change and a vibe in the person when you go from talking to a, about aliens and crashed UFOs, when you start talking about stealth planes and classified aircraft, you know, sometimes the eyes glaze over. It's like, I'm not interested, dude. I want to hear about the Greys and Roswell and back engineering. And I think... Whoever's running these disinfo programs and counterintelligence programs, they absolutely understand the mindset of people in ufology. It's what Greg Bishop, a good friend of mine, Greg calls it UFO porn. Basically, the exciting stuff that people in ufology want to hear, and that's all they want to hear. But a lot of people in ufology want to hear exciting tales of crashed UFOs, alien autopsies. They don't want to hear that some of the most cherished UFO cases may have been born out of counterintelligence programs and classified aircraft. And I think they rec not only do they recognize that, they realize that the community is easily 
uh, influenced and and can be influenced um, various espionage-based programs and so on. You know, a lot of people in ufology don't recognize that that's part of ufology. That's just that spy stuff, you know. No, I just wanted to get back to it. A reverse kind of question, and we will take this to the next segment, the final segment with Nick Redfern. We're talking here about the U.S. doing stuff to spook the Russians. And, of course, we have all the stories about the Russians meddling in elections. So I'll ask you, and we'll hold the answer to the next segment because it's too involved. What about the Russians pulling stuff to make us think we see UFOs, to create UFO stories in the way they also create stories about things that affect our politics? We'll ask Nick to respond to that in our final segment. I want to remind you we have our second radio show after the Paracast, which is Color Commentary. Special interviews, continued interviews over the last couple of months. We've done part two on After the Paracast. The only way you can get that show is to subscribe to the Paracast Plus. Go to plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com. And remember, prices start just $1.49 a week, our price cheap. If you go for a five-year or lifetime subscription, we give you free stuff. Who doesn't want free stuff? And Nick will continue this discussion on this weekend's After the Paracast. More to come with Nick Redfern, Gene Steinberg, Jay Randall Murphy. You're in the Visit GCNlive.com today. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host. First game, Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there's the coming of the protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the protectors. Find out more at rockoids.com. That's rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the purest for you and your family. For over 14 years, thousands have depended on Berkey Clean Water. The Berkey Guy has you covered at home, work, and on the go with water filtration systems of every size for every budget. Now, GCN listeners receive 10% off ceramic filter systems using code GCN at GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. 
hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and sling bows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow, a new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. haven't experienced yogurt until you've tried a mossy embodying health and flavor in a true whole milk green-fed dairy beverage every sip pays homage to our old world cows and the ancient culturing methods their milk benefits from with over 30 probiotics a mossy's undeniably nutritious refined cultured sensation bolsters your health and awakens your passion for dairy a mossy so good and you need to try it contact your longevity distributor or call 877-878-4203 or go to gcnteam.com Message and data rates may apply. Please don't text while driving. If you've been in business more than 20 minutes, you've probably printed your logo on all kinds of promotional products. We all know logos work because they're on everything from the top of skyscrapers to the bottom of shoes. Ever wondered why or how to best use your logo to grow your business? Let us show you today for free. We're 4imprint, promotional product experts at your service. We're giving away the latest issue of Amplify the digital magazine that reveals promotional product success stories absolutely free to everyone who texts UP77 to 88988. At 4imprint, we make your logo look perfect on thousands of promotional items. With our 100% guarantee, it'll be right the first time, on time, every time. Your free e-magazine will reveal invaluable insights that can attract new customers, build your brand, and grow your business. Get the latest issue of Amplify absolutely free by texting UP77 to 88988. That's UP77 to 88988. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNLife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNLife.com. This is Micah Hanks of the Gray Alien Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. I think Nick, is, you do Nick is trying to... <laughs> How do I do that? Um, he has no vibrato, by the way. You notice that. But I think he's just thinking of old Beatles records where they had songs that just went on and on and on. Like you're a oh, non-smoker, but that's what that is. I mean, <laughs> okay, Nick Redfern. The question I asked is the reverse. We want to spook the Russians. Will the Russians, or have they possibly created UFO-related stuff to spook the Americans? Well, it just so happens <laughs> in April or thereabouts. I have a new book out called UFOs and the Kremlin, and the the subtitle is Russian uh, meddling and flying saucers. So the answer is yes. <laughs> Is this another thing. new book on top of the Area 51? When is this? Yeah, this will be out. This will be out in about April, something like that. Oh well, I guess yeah. just ask but, and we uh, shall I mean, receive. It actually, it actually focuses on things like, for example, the Spitsbergen story, where the NSA was looking into the possibility that it wasn't just a story or reality, 
that the Russians were using this as some sort of bizarre psyop to have the Americans think that possibly they'd recovered, that the Russians had recovered a crashed UFO, and hence that plant wording in the documents. I also got a bunch of interesting documents on George Adamski from the FBI, where Adamski was talking about, basically, you know, talking about how the, the Space Brothers were communists and communism was the way of the future. And the FBI actually wondered if Adamski had been sort of turned and was being used by the Kremlin to essentially spread the word that the aliens were communist as a means to sort of provoke unease in the United States. And the reason why they thought that was because why he'd been approached was because his first book, Flying Sources Had Landed, uh, actually sold. Well, you see, that and his second book, in their first printing, sold close to a quarter of a million copies. And they were concerned that someone with so much influence and so uh, such a huge uh, following, that if he started to say that communism was the way of the future, significant portions of the U.S. population in the early 50s would follow him and listen to him. And I was able to get through the Freedom of Information Act, those files on Adamski, which, you know, he actually says Russia is going to destroy the U.S. and then we're going to have a thousand years of peace under Russia. That's literally what Adamski said. And U.S. intelligence was deeply worried, not because he was just some obscure guy, but because he was selling books in like almost like the quarter of millions, you know. That's a lot. In those days, especially, it would be quite a bit now, too. My 50 books combined don't even come anywhere near a quarter of a million, you know, never mind one. Wow. <laughs> 50 of them don't come close. But, yeah, I've got a ton of really intriguing stuff. How, for example, like the Australian intelligence services were looking in the 50s into how a number of Australian UFO research groups weirdly seem to have a lot of communists contained in them. And these were not sort of like Reds under the beds, McCarthyism hysteria. It turned out these stories were true. And the Australian uh, intelligence services, the ASIO, they came to wonder if some of the people in these groups had been turned and were being used for obscure Soviet programs and things like this. Yeah, so that one will be out sort of April-ish or thereabouts. Did they say that, you know, did the Space Brothers say that the Russians should also stop their nuclear testing? Or, you know, because when you listen to this agenda that's there, it is sort of socialist, isn't it, in a way? that The whole Space Brother yeah. world unity type of thing. And it's always, well, you know, the United States should stop nuclear testing. Well, what about the Russians? Well, now that's an interesting thing because they did not, you know, recommend that. And also the Ethereum Society, one of the early contactee movement, contactee groups, I should say. The Ethereum Society, which was formulated in London, England, uh, I got hold of um, surveillance files on them from uh, the intelligence branch of the, um, the UK police force, which is called Special Branch. They deal with like terrorism and, and counterintelligence and things like that. And I got hold of Special Branch's files on the Ethereum Society and George King, who created the Ethereum Society. And the special branch was deeply worried because the Ethereum Society was saying that we need to take a lead, the UK, and just get rid of our nuclear weapons so that basically the Russians will know that we're okay. You know? And special branch was extremely worried about that and very worried that the Ethereum Society had been infiltrated by 
Soviet personnel or, for example, people in the United Kingdom who'd been, you know, come around to the idea that communism was good and that they could be used. Uh, but it all came down to special branch having fears that the Ethereum Society or people within it were essentially spreading tales about uh, how we need to get rid of our nukes and that if the group developed more uh, followers and the group grew and grew, more and more people might come around to this idea that, well, perhaps we should get rid of our nukes first, you know, just for as a goodwill kind of sign. There was so much of this going on in that period of watching people in ufology for fear that they'd been recruited for various bizarre reasons. I even got some files, this is like a bit of a scoop, that the FBI at one point was looking at the idea that the MJ-12 documents, the original ones, were fabricated by the Soviets as a means to reel in people who worked in the military aviation industry. You know, we'll give you these MJ-12 documents on Roswell. Tell us what you're doing in relation to stealth technology. And the theory that one of the theories they were looking at was that the this sort of dangling carrot of the MJ-12 documents was actually like sort of a KGB creation. Interesting. So the whole contactee and maybe even the MJ-12 is some kind of Russian psyops. Yeah, and the whole point to kind of recruit people who could sort of reveal to them legitimate military programs. Most all the information I've found suggests that the Russians could not have cared less really about real UFOs, but they cared everything about using people in ufology who may have have careers in the defense system um, who could have been in a position to share legitimate high-tech military secrets. And you can well understand how somebody who works in the field of, you know, high-tech secret aviation, but in their free time, they've got this deep fascination for the UFO subject. And they're suddenly approached late one night, you know, they're having a drink at the bar after work. This guy comes up and says, hey, we've got some information you might like about Roswell. All you've got to do in return is just bring a few files back home from work. The Russians will get something really juicy. Would you be willing to make a deal? The guy says, well, what's the deal? So we'll provide you with real classified documents on what happened at Roswell in return. You know, maybe you can tell us something about the latest stealth programs. The guy, after a couple of few more drinks, decides to go along with it, and then he's compromised. You know, the conversation is recorded or filmed, and he has no way out. It's blackmail now. Okay, here's your MJ-12 documents. Do what you want with them. Here's what we want, and you better get it to us every Thursday night. You know, that kind of thing. And in that sense, what U.S. intelligence was worried about was that people would fall for this, you know, and under certain situations of blackmail, things like that, and they would be forced to give information back. Okay, it basically comes down to the Russians using the UFO subject as a means to gather uh, U.S. military secrets. Nick, where do we find more of your stuff? Uh, well, I have a blog called World of Whatever. Um, just type in Nick Redfern, World of Whatever, or... Uh, Twitter, Nick Redfern UFO, and you can also find me on um, Facebook, and all the books are available on Amazon, and about two-thirds of them you can get off the shelves in Barnes & Noble. 
You can find us on Twitter if you look for The Paracast. Look for The Paracast Fan Clubs on Facebook. Look for The Paracast Plus, where we offer a version of the show free of the network ads, the After The Paracast podcast, which is just getting better and better and better. And Nick will continue this discussion on this weekend's After The Paracast. All this for prices starting at just $1.49 a week. $4.99 a month. We have five-year and lifetime subscriptions where you get free stuff. Who doesn't want free stuff, right? To learn more, go to plus.theparacast.com. That's plus.theparacast.com. Nick Redfern, it's been a romp. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you again for joining us on the Paracast. All right. Thanks, guys. The Paracast. Featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.